You know, it's no secret that I like coming to work every day. I've told you that many, many times, but I particularly like coming to work on Wednesdays because uh, the last star of the show on Wednesday is uh, one of my favorite times all week long. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer join us every Wednesday. They're both here now. Good to see you guys. And you. And I enjoy it because it's the kind of uh, kind of roundtable discussion that, uh, that I uh, find really eye-opening. These guys get me thinking every week. And... Uh, I just want to say welcome to 1998, and I'm looking forward to another great year because I think we well, had a great New year last year. Happy New Thank Year. Thank you. Uh, guys, I'm, I'd like to take a look today, if we can, with your permission. And, folks, we should remind you that the lines are open, too, and Bob and Jeff are here. Just because we're yakking away doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you. We certainly do at 643-1290 or star-1290. If you have anything to add to the conversation or you want to take issue with something you've heard or perhaps you want to steer us in a slightly different direction, you feel free to do any or all of the above. Guys, I want to maybe ask you a little bit, because it is our first show in 1998, you know, our show is called Left, Right, and Center, and, and, and Jeff is nominally on the left and Bob nominally on the right, and I'm nominally somewhere in the middle. But we have all spoken before of the kind of the... Uh, the changing parameters of, of membership, if you will, in these, these various areas of the political spectrum. And I was wondering today if maybe we can take a little bit of a look at what, what that really means today in, in, in terms of political philosophy, um, what it means to be on, quote, the right or on, quote, the left and, and where the center is. Uh, there are people who contend that, and we've heard a lot of comment about this, that the Mike Harris government is this terribly reactionary right-wing bunch of quasi-crypto-fascists. Uh, and there are other people, there have been some, some articles written lately about it, suggesting that, that this government is really, uh, by many definitions, can hardly be considered a right-wing government at all. Bob, let me start with you, if we can, and, and I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to turn this into a long political uh, uh, discourse, but... In a general sense, what do you think it means to be on the right of the political spectrum? That's getting tough to say anymore because I think the left and right as as applicable labels to what's happening in the world today aren't, they just don't stick that, that well anymore. Um, in fact, uh, we, we discussed this once last year. We mm -hmm. sort of got into the whole left-right thing, and you brought up something that really got me thinking. So, you know, I come here and I learn a lot too. And uh, it was your... Um, you gave that example of a diagram. You told everybody to picture a clock. And uh, at, at uh, like 9 o'clock, you have the left. At 3 o'clock, you have the right. And the center is somewhere in between. Well, I think that at 6 o'clock, you can have, say, totalitarianism, and at 12 o'clock, freedom. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is the way that the clock is tilting, and that we're no longer on that left-right axis so much as a freedom to state control uh, axis, and that that really is the significant axis. Left-right don't really mean that much anymore. Um, even over the past you know, dozen or so shows that we've done here, you know, Jeff and I, we've agreed on a lot of things, mm -hmm. we've disagreed on a lot of things, and it's difficult to peg them in the traditional left-right, uh, you know, trying to put a round peg into a square hole and that, that type of thing. And uh, so it makes it difficult. And too many people are still just locked into that left-right thinking and trying to fit everything in the world around them into that. And if it doesn't fit, they discard it. And I'm afraid that kind of uh, closes the door to a lot of discussion. What does right-wing really mean today? Uh, I think most people see it as, uh, it's of course associated with conservatism, it's, con it's associated with uh, cutbacks in spending, it's associated with cutbacks in service, but again, these things are happening on the left side of the spectrum mm -hmm. as well, so how do you stick that label to it? 
Um, you want to see hospital closings? Go to any province, whether it's run by the NDP or by the conservatives or by Republicans or by Democrats mm -hmm. if you're going to the states. Um, the issue there, again, is wherever the government, the state is involved, is where you see problems because, uh, again, if we look at this spectrum from top to bottom, freedom to totalitarianism, we're talking about force versus consent. And the more force spending we have in a society, the more problems we have. And taxes are force. And, and uh, every government program is by nature force because government is an instrument of force. It's supposed to be an instrument of justice. But it's become a redistributive instrument. And as a consequence, we're in a lot of trouble. So I think we almost have to turn that clock a quarter turn to the right or left, doesn't matter, mm -hmm. but just so that we see the spectrum in a different, uh, in a different light. Jeff, uh, from... The the three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, wherever that, however we're turning the clock from the quote left side. Uh, do you agree or disagree with what Bob's had to say? Uh, <clears throat> well, I guess uh, you have that distinction between uh, if you want to look at freedom versus totalitarianism. If you consider that to be control, somebody else controlling your life, um, you, you you see those in both sides of the left-right equation. I was sort of thinking about in a broader s spectrum that you have totalitarian governments in different at different times in different places some that would be called uh, left-wing some would be called right-wing and they come back to that control aspect of it but I was thinking about sort of a fundamental distinction in my mind between sort of what I think of as a leftish idea and a rightish idea coming from the left is that it seems to me that the right right-wing people focus more on self looking inwardly and looking at self-sufficiency for instance as being the greatest virtue whereas uh, left-wing people look at interdependency and look at sort of seeing themselves as a larger community and that everybody should be in everybody else's business uh, as, a, as another distinction. But I, I'm interested in the broad uh, convenient label of left and right that we've applied because I, as I got thinking about it, I have no idea where it came from. Uh, you know, and I have a broad general idea of what I think it sort of means on, on different issues, but we've often seen that uh, there are lots of things that don't fit nicely into a right-wing or left-wing uh, uh, dichotomy. Um, I, I'm aware that Marx is out there somewhere, going way back in the left. Uh, but uh, do you know about the history? Well, has it? I think the originally the terms, and, and I, I'm pretty vague on this, but it, I think it had to do with the French Assembly, the French Estates. And it was physically some of them sat on the left side of the room, some on the yep. right side of the room, and the, then that then has kind of their. Although you couldn't compare today's philosophies no. to left and right then. Exactly. They yeah. reversed back and forth several times. Well, I mean, is part of the confusion here? Do you think? Uh, and you alluded to Marx, for example, and we tend to look at at uh, uh, Soviet communism, for example. Oh, that's 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 the left side. Well, in one sense, I guess theoretically it was, but in in practical terms, it was as hierarchical a society as you're likely to find. It was not a communist society at all. If you were part of the masses, it was. But but if you were smart, you rose above that. You got into the, what they called the nomenclatura, and then you know you 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 prospered the same as people pros prosper in a capitalist society. Uh, do you think part of the confusion is is we have these kind of large pictures like Soviet Union was on the left? When in fact the you know the reality was that they were there were a lot of fascist elements to what happened there as well is is that does that add to the confusion do you think? It, oh, go ahead. Jeff. Well, yeah, and, and uh, one thing that uh, you had mentioned before the show is how how the labels shift around and how in the 1800s uh, the label of liberal and conservative were 
pretty well the exact opposite of what they are now. Mm -hmm. And I sort of see it coming around again in the sense that uh, I've historically thought of the word reform, for instance, as being a, a word used by the left to talk about we need law reform, yeah. we need to reform things and so on. That word has now been taken over by the right. Um, that more and more, I sort of say it uh, sort of somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I, I see myself and my colleagues as trying to conserve the existing system. You know, that we're, we're in many ways the conservatives these days. Mm -hmm. it, it's funny you say that because, you know, I look at myself and I could quite easily call myself a small L liberal or a small C conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, I often tell people I'm very liberal-minded but conservatively behaved. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, but, you know, g getting on to what Jeff was saying about the right wing looking uh, or talking about self-sufficiency, whereas the left looks at interdependency, I have to disagree with that very strongly. I think the right also acknowledges the interdependency, but bases that interdependency on freedom. Or, I can't really say the right again, because it, we have to tilt that clock. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but uh, in the sense that the interdependency that I would prefer is one based on free markets. There's no such thing as any of us being totally independent. That's just not the reality of living in a social society. No man is an island. And that's why we need freedom. Freedom is the social contract that allows us to be interdependent so that the relationships we create are consensual. I mean, that is one thing. It's taken us thousands of years to learn this rule of consent. Um, in the past, people thought nothing of forcing, you know, having slavery, forcing people to do things that they would not have chosen to do with their lives. And it is their life. You only get one life on this planet Earth. And if somebody else is telling you how to live it, you haven't got your life. So to, to go by any other standard, uh, you know, when I look at the left wing talking about interdependency, they're talking about a forced interdependency. No, they're not. Um, sure you are. <laughs> you think I have a choice of whether uh, I have to take OHIP or not, or whether well, I have to pay Canada pension, or whether I have to... the dichotomy to... between freedom and totalitarianism, I look at civil rights, for instance, in there, and I think that the, the, the genesis of civil rights is aimed towards freedom, and that is freedom yes. from government control and so on, and I guess you may argue the that it sort of goes sphere. beyond that, but uh, again, the civil rights to me are sort of all about freedom. Um, but oh, I, I agree. Think... I agree with that. But... but hey, we on the left have civil rights. <laughs> you guys don't, don't push civil but rights. But Bob has hit, Bob has hit on an interesting uh, uh, topic here. Let, let's look at OHIP, for example. I mean, we do not have any freedom there. This is a, this is a decidedly socialistic approach to, to uh, health care. Uh, it's one that un obviously Ontarians at least uh, passively and implicitly uh, support because there's been no you know no major move to change it, and yet it is a diminution of our freedoms. We don't have, you don't have, I don't have, Bob doesn't have the ability to manage our own health care. We simply give the government. We don't have that right. We give the government however much money they demand from us for it, and that's the end of it. Well, okay, that's that's a dramatic overgeneralization in the sense, though, that we have a system, whether we think we have any say in it or not. Theoretically, there's a system that allows us to decide how much is going to be spent and and so on. But uh, I guess you're right when you come back to a question of being forced to participate in something like that. That obviously you are, and that I would think that people on the left would say it's for the best of all of us that everybody opt in because we're afraid there are a lot of people that won't opt in will take the advantage of it and not not be responsible for participating and I think that's where, where people get sort of uh uh, leery, I guess. It's like if everybody played the same game by the same rules, then uh, then you don't get into uh, the state intervening and requiring this, that, and the other thing. You know, if everybody drove really slowly and looked out for each other all the time, we wouldn't need rules to say, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to drive on the right side of the road. I don't care how much you like the left. Uh, but I think that that grates on the left a lot less than it grates on the right. And I think that, that totalitarian 
totalitarianism grates on everybody. Nobody likes to be told what to do, but people on the left may say, I can see that it's best for us to all get together around a certain thing and all go in the same direction, even though it may mean forcing some people to come along who wouldn't otherwise, uh, because it's still the best for all of us to do. But then are you saying those people you forced to come along with it? don't have any rights, they don't have the same right that you have just because you happen to be on the majority? <laughs> We're talking about it majority rights now. That's a left-wing concept again. To me, there's nothing more dangerous in any society than a democratic majority because that justifies anything. Uh, you can blame Hitler, you can blame Stalin, I'm sorry, but they had the support of a lot of people. And there's just no two ways elected. about it. And they were democratically elected. Well, yeah, Stalin. Stalin was the well, yeah, well, but you know what I mean. Uh, again, they would argue that, that Stalin was yes. democratically yeah. supported because yeah. the Soviet Union is, in its constitution, or was, rather, a democracy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to me, democracy, in order to work and to be functional, has to be tempered by freedom. You can't have a totalitarian democracy. And, uh, you know, some people think, well, we can solve all our problems by forcing people to vote. And that, to me, is like taking away your right to vote. Because if you have to vote and you don't like any of the choices you've got, you, you're back, back in a totalitarian system. This is Left, Right, and Center with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. We're talking today about Left, Right, and Center. Um, Jeff, let me turn to you here on the issue of the Harris government. Now, this is a government that's generally characterized as being a hard right wing. Um, I, you know, I think most of the media tends to characterize them that way. Certainly, many people on the left, if you ask them, what do you think of this government? They're, you know, again, they're crypto-fascists. They're as far right-wing as you can get. And yet, you look at many of the things that they're doing, and, and commentators have commented on this. You, in fact, have commented on it, too, that uh, one of the classic tenets of quote, right-wing philosophy, is, is a reduction of government power, reduction of government influence and interference. And yet, in the Harris government, we seem to see, there's certainly a lot of evidence, that they're looking to uh, increase government control, perhaps in a more, focus it more narrowly, but take a stronger grip on the economy, stronger grip on society. Uh, do you see them as, a, are they a right-wing government? Well, I, of course, I would say that they are, are, are an arch-right-wing government, but it's an interesting way to look at it. And I've read a couple of uh, editorials in the last couple of weeks where uh, the writers have commented on different things that they've done or not done that that, that aren't consistent with being a, a, a neoconservative or a, a far-right uh, conservative government. And I, when I think about them and the difference between them and the federal liberal government and the difference in what they've actually accomplished, I, I think that to a large extent the difference is one of style rather than substance. You know, that the, the Harris government has been a more sort of an in-your-face government, whereas the liberals have been a lot smoother about sort of saying we're going to have massive cutbacks but you're not going to notice it because we're going to de defer it for a year or we're going to uh, I, I have think these that's other just a perception happen. really because the liberal government has gone on sort of from a steady philosophy the federal government hasn't really changed that much but when you get a change from NDP to conservative like you did in Ontario well, that looks it. radical <laughs> yeah. you notice it yeah but you look and at things though like uh, with the Harris government that uh, uh, some of the things that, that I remember from the articles they were talking about the centralizing of power and uh, we've seen that dramatically you know, not only with Queen's Park and taking over power for things like education, but centralizing local governments so we have far fewer of them than we used to. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have bigger uh, local governments than we used to. And not something I support, by the way. Well, exactly. That That's something that's surprising for a, a right-wing government to do. Um, we look at, uh, well, there's an article in the paper yesterday about human rights and how not much has really changed in a, in a broad sphere in human rights since uh, Mike Harris was elected. 
The Human Rights Commission is still there. There's no suggestion that's going to change. There have been no serious talks about changing any of the uh, protected uh, areas within the Human Rights Code. Uh, Mike Harris made a point of going out and, and uh, appointing a well-respected former Tory cabinet minister who happens to be a gay rights uh, activist as the head of the Human Rights Commission. Um, it, we've seen in a variety of different areas where the laws have gotten a lot more complicated than they used to be. That uh, I would have thought that a right-wing government would say, we're going to go back and simplify the laws, and they have the Red Tape Commission, theoretically, to do that. But as fast as they're removing laws, they're making new ones that are a lot more complicated than they used to be. And we're seeing way more bureaucracy than we ever used to. Uh, and I, In one of the articles, they mentioned that, uh, I guess, Ernie Eves had given a speech at Harvard last fall, and in that, he had compared uh, their government to uh, the Newt Gingrich style of conservatism. And he, he said, we're far left of those guys uh, in, in, a, in a variety of ways. And it's true. Uh, in some respects, I thought things would change a lot more by this point in their mandate than they have. Well, our, our, we've got to remember, our politicians and governments have to serve the people who elect them. And and like it or not, you know, you, like just in your previous couple hours there, Jim, you had a number of people asking, well, why don't politicians listen? Why don't they do mm -hmm. this? Well, they are, but they're listening to the majority, and it's sometimes hard to accept that you are in a minority. Mm -hmm. Even though there are a lot of people who agree with you, let's face it, the majority of Canadians are left-wingers, really, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, they vote Liberal, they vote NDP, and the, the Conservative vote is split all over the place, and uh, you've got all kinds of factions. Uh, you have that in the left, too, but not so much. But uh, generally, all, all of the traditional left-right-wing parties are all agreed that uh, the state should have certain powers and the individual sh that the individual shouldn't have. And that's where I part ways with both the left and right. I'm a strong individualist. I think I believe in freedom of choice. I believe that that a free society is the only kind of society that can survive in the long term, and that uh, the more state control and intervention you have, the shorter term your lifespan is. It's like smoking cigarettes. Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the Cantel. We don't urge you to smoke cigarettes, but we do urge you to give us a call if you have something to add to the discussion, a question, or a comment. We'd like to hear from you. And uh, Gord joins us. Good morning, Gord. Hi. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, uh, before I get into the discussion about OHIP, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd mention, like, to me, what bugs me about left and right, on, either, on both sides, mm -hmm. is both sides seem to protect their own, regardless of it seems like they're obviously wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like... Um, <clears throat> but you know what Johnny McDonald said about that? That uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, the first prime minister, had said that uh, he can that anybody can get cabinet ministers who will agree with him when he's right. What he needs is cabinet ministers who will agree with him when he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a lot, lot, lot of cabinet ministers who are doing that lately. But yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah and it, I get scared when either side gets too much power or unchecked power. Mm -hmm. You know, I lean to the left, obviously. Yeah, but. I'm still uncomfortable with a lot of political correctness, even though I understand it's probably a reactionary to political correctness from the right. And we seem to, you know, the pendulum as, you know, the proverbial pendulum swings back and forth. Do you think, uh, I just want to, uh, hang in there, because I want to ask the guy some, well, that's, I think you've hit on a really interesting point. Yeah. Uh, political correctness, do you think, either one of you, that this is a, that it is a, I don't see him as, a, as a, I don't see it as a pendulum at all, but does, do either of you agree with Gord? Uh, as a, to see it as a pendulum? Well, he or? said it's kind of a reaction against, uh, I guess, a more laissez-faire attitude uh, when the right was in the ascendant. Uh, I don't see it so much as that. I, I think political correctness is just a modern term we've given to uh, old-style fascism or socialism, depending on where the totalitarianism is coming from. Mm -hmm. It's a restriction on freedom of thought, on freedom of speech, on, on, on freedom of debate. 
and uh, it, that's what it's meant to be political correctness uh, you know it, political means forced correctness and to me when you're talking political correctness you're talking forced correctness mm -hmm. and that means that uh, it's meant to stifle debate that's the purpose of political correctness it existed in fascist times it exists as a country approaches fascism or state control and we're seeing that in Canada today, well, and that concerns me. If you look at the historical record, too, you go back, for example, to the Spanish Inquisition, which is a very, I think is a lot of parallels. Sure. People will say, oh, you went, it goes too far. Well, of course, we're well, not yeah. torturing people. But the, the fundamental premise was the same, that this is the accepted wisdom, and you are not to step outside these boundaries. And if you do, if you do, if you express thoughts that are not acceptable or use words that are not acceptable, we're going to get you. It's, uh, to me, it's much the same thing. Well, that's the thing. It's not, it's not that uh, we were free before political correctness came along. It's like we were, we were tied to different values then, I guess. And uh, I, I think the word political correctness is, is, was a term that originated as sort of a sarcastic uh, way of referring to uh, a pendulum that has swung a long ways and, uh, where there were big problems before. And there are still big problems in some of these areas. And it's a way of sort of belittling the efforts that have been made to try and fix the problems because in some ways you can clearly say they have gone too far. Uh, Gord, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. You go yeah, on. You go ahead, then. It's okay. Um, as far as OHIP concern, is concerned, to me, uh, I think the left is sort of like a, a watchdog, and they watch out for, like, a, when the right seems to me for the power of money. Mm -hmm. And totalitarianism, if I can say it correctly, mm -hmm. can come in the form of a business suit as well as a uniform. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, sometimes... The left is sort of like a balance of power that I think a lot of people on the right want to destroy OHIP because they want to get their their money in there. Now, in what sense, though? I mean, it, I have to say that, and, and again, Jeff and Bob and I agree, uh, agree and disagree on a lot of things. I tend to be a little more on Bob's side on the, on the OHIP issue uh, simply because I would rather have that money to provide for myself. I think I could make better use of the tax dollars I pay for health care to buy private plans for myself. I don't understand how you think that doing away with OHIP is going to benefit someone financially. I mean... Because if it benefits society, then your money isn't going to pay for all the ills that will come about by not having OHIP. I mean, the, the ramifications goes much further than just paying for your own uh, but what health care. what ills will there be? Well, uh, health bills of, of the poor. I mean, uh, there, there's all kinds of things. Like, when we don't have social programs, then you'll see them in, in the street and be living, like, almost in a jail because you, you have to def almost, like, defend yourself or you don't want to be involved. So you, have, you no, have you no confidence in the people on the lower end of the uh, economic scale to, to better themselves? Do you think they're stuck there forever? That they're, that they're, you know, that there's no, there's no room to progress. And this is our whole society is predicated on the idea that everyone can rise as far as they want to go. But surely we got to keep them alive till we get there, though. <laughs> Listen, I, I, yeah. I, I, but then you know, in competition, which is is good to a certain extent, and you know, I agree with that. But then, when you have win so-called winners and losers, kind of thing, when you, have, you to do have that. But, Gord, you do have winners and losers. Life is about winners and losers. Mm -hmm. We can pretend all we want that it isn't, but the, the hard, cold reality is, not just with human beings, right through the, right through the, the, the whole animal kingdom, yeah. right through Mother Nature. Well, we want the game to be fair, like the though. the world is a global village, and it's like, even like if we take it from, you know, local London, province, country, or, or worldwide, mm -hmm. 
Nowadays, if we have what you call losers in society, well, look how it affects everybody. Like, you know, the rainforest in Brazil, it's going to affect the world if we let that go mm-hmm. because of poverty there. Mm-hmm. Wherever poverty exists, yeah, but remember it's going to touch you somewhere along the line, somewhere. Wherever poverty exists, it exists because the government is interventionist and because the government prevents people from making their own livelihoods. Hey, we had poverty before we had governments. Uh, I doubt it very much. Yeah, uh, not in the sense, you know, again, poverty is a comparative term because poverty only exists amidst affluence. You have to have affluence in order to compare it so you can call something poverty. There's no such thing as poverty amidst poverty. Like all cave people who lived in the ancient times were poverty by our standards, but yeah. that's that's a non sequitur. You can't use an argument like that. Some were probably more successful uh, at, uh, at hunting and things, though, than others were right from the get-go. Well, that may be, and that's probably why they would be the hunters of the tribe, and the people who were more successful at doing other things would be that. And that's why I think that the marketplace creates winners and winners, not losers and winners. Uh, it, what it does is filter out people who go into activities that they shouldn't be in, and, and that they're not successful at, and that would be wasteful to want to keep people in that position. I think we have to be fluid enough and flexible enough to have a marketplace where people can do what they do best. And in terms of OHIP, again, this is not a program to help the poor. I, I, you know, the left wing keeps saying this, that, oh, yeah, that's why we have OHIP. Nonsense. It's a universal program. If it were there to help the poor, we'd only be directing it towards well, the we, poor. Except that we see that when we set up a program for the poor, then it's not funded uh, adequately. That's why we have got universality well, in this program. What's adequate? Well, universality makes less adequate funding because it blows all the money on everybody. No, because everybody's got an ownership interest in it, so they maintain it. What ownership? I can't sell my ownership. Don't no, I'm saying it. that everybody wants to access OHIP when they get sick, so they all want to make sure it's there when they need it, and then inferentially be there when somebody else needs well, it, too. Sure, that's a natural inclination, and I want to make sure my private plan is there when I need it, too. It's the same thing. It comes down to whether is the plan voluntarily funded or involuntarily funded. Gord, we're going to give the last yeah. word to you here. Well, I was just going to say, boy, well, I can really start them up, can I? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Gord. Okay. Take sure. care. Bye-bye. 643 1290, star 1290 on the can tell. This is uh, left, right, and center on Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer in the studio, and John's on the phone. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning, sir. Look, I'm going to speak directly to the point with regards to the philosophy that's involved in this matter as far as political correctness is concerned. We just, I just heard this morning that this political correctness is being exercised as far as city council is concerned, mm-hmm. whereby Effie, who you know who Effie is, yes, and uh, Mary Hurley, you know who they are, Mm-hmm have been appointed to the convention center, of all things. Hmm. Uh, I guess an unconventional move? I don't know about that. But <laughs> with respect to OHIP, mm-hmm. the mistake that was made was made by Peterson and his crowd when he abandoned the uh, OHIP payments that people in employment used to pay mm-hmm. and, that, and made it come out of the general revenue. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they had no grasp of what was required quite frankly, but support the health program. But from Jeff's point of view, but I'm going to, you're probably going to swap me for this, but <laughs> didn't you just say a few minutes ago or imply a few minutes ago that that doesn't really matter, that the, the, the purpose of universality is implicit in itself, it is universality. If it costs us money, it costs us money. What? 
Well, I yeah. guess I, I, I'm inclined to agree with John to the extent that uh, you need some ownership, though, of uh, of the program, and that if you're seeing uh, where it where it is coming off your paycheck or whatever, you're much more aware of sort of how much it's costing, and 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 you're paying attention to it. But but Jeff, ownership only exists in a private system. That's the only time you can com can claim ownership. I didn't say I was a Marxist. Forgive me, interrupting, gentlemen. Yeah. But I have recalled with regards to that situation that applied in Britain in 1947 mm -hmm. when the National Health Program came out. Yeah. And it came out on the sole basis that those who were not in an economic group to afford full medical coverage, which left them in, in a situation of deciding whether they could put bread on the table right. or give the necessary medical attention to their family. Right. And invariably, people want to feed before they uh, attend to their ailments. Mm -hmm. And that was why the National Health Program came out. And one of the things that was successful as far as the National Health com uh, thing was concerned, that doctors had a maximum of patients. Mm -hmm. And they were paid on the basis of the number of the patients. And they couldn't have, shall we say, uh, double dip and things like that, which has transpired here. When I came over to this country in 1964, I took out PSI. It was my understanding from the immigration department in, in uh, Liverpool that they had in Canada the equivalent to what the British had as far as the National Health yeah. mm -hmm. And the end result was that when I got out here, this was not indeed the case, was that we had PSI. And my wife was in hospital immediately she came over and, and was in for quite a period of time because she was carrying twins. Now, I know uh, from my own experience and my own observations as far as that was concerned, PSI had this medical coverage, yeah. but the small print stated that it didn't cover obstetrics for the first 12 months. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever one might judge, my wife was pregnant at the time with twins, mm -hmm. and, and uh, complications arose whereby she had to go into St. Thomas Hospital. John, what, what exactly? But I was faced with a bill of extraordinary proportions. Yeah, well, but you're, you know, you, you, so you, what you, I'm are, saying, but you arrived on our shores here and suddenly you're, you're cranking up, you, would you expect us to pick up no, the medical no, bills? No, 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 you see, you always misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm talking to the subject matter. I'm not blaming anybody. Yeah. I'm not criticizing What anybody. was PSI? Can I'm you explain that, I'm merely pointing John? out the, the situation that arose yeah. when there was PSI. So what is PSI? It was the Physicians, uh, Physicians Insurance Program. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you follow me? Yep, I just wanted to make now sure. Now then, when you get into a private area, you get the same thing happening as what used to take place in Britain in the 30s, mm -hmm. where you had the Harley Street doctors making the money, mm -hmm. and the ordinary man who was contributing to the well-being of the country through his labor, mm -hmm. not able to afford those services. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, the ordinary man couldn't afford to buy a Rolls Royce either, could he? But that's not the point, Jim. It's where exactly is the, the point, the country? It it's is either exactly its education or its health. It's, it's no use having a, a whole bunch of people who are um, a seedy and of ill health. The health, the well-being of any country, I don't give a care where it is. Well, nobody's suggesting that we shouldn't have health care for people who are needy, John. Even the right believes that. Well, what I'm saying is, I personally, of the opinion, for whatever that is worth, better that I contribute to the health service and not need it, and have the comfort and knowledge of knowing that those who need it have access to it. Anyways, isn't, that just, go, isn't that just private insurance you're describing, John? Thank you, pardon? That's private insurance. What no, I'm talking about to? provincial insurance or federal insurance or whatever it may be called. But, but anything it must except be maintained private, right? within the public preview. But, John, let's suppose for the sake of argument that you and I and, and Jeff 
are in a position where we could afford to pay our own health care, and we had the ability to do that, and, and, and Bob, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do so, but because we have taken the burden off the government, uh, you know, and, and one assumes that we are getting a, a efficiency for our dollars or we will change our health care, isn't it likely that there'll be more dollars available to help Bob if he needs it? Well, it's un we're talking about universality. Yeah. I make no distinction between the rich and the poor with respect to having been access to a, a service that's necessary to the well-being of the country. Mm -hmm. All right, fair enough, John. No, I have to leave it there, but I appreciate your calling your comments today. We have to pause for a moment. 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel. We'll be back with uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, who is not poor and is not in need of medical service he can't get, uh, right after this. Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz are my co-hosts in this portion of our program. We call it Left, Right, and Center because we tend to take a look at issues from different uh, varying uh, political philosophies. Jeff tends to be on the left. Bob tends to be on the right. Uh, but one of the things that makes it so interesting is that those are not hard and fast labels anymore, and that gives us lots of room to maneuver and lots of room to discuss things. Guys, I want to come back to the uh, uh, the political commitment of, 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 of politicians, and we started off very briefly talking about this at the top, and again, from a political perspective, there is a sense in this country that if you are a right, a politician on the right, that you are ipso facto uh, more responsive to your constituents. The Reform Party has made a big deal about this, about being able to recall if they don't do what you want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They call that populism, don't they? But, 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 to a certain extent, yeah. it's part of populism. Uh, but then we've had populism on the left as well, so again, we get confused. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a politician's role, whether he's left or right, um, at what point does he listen to the majority, Bob, that you were fond of pointing out that it can be very, very dangerous. At what point do we demand that the politicians do, quote, what the people want instead of what always, they think is best? Always. And, but the thing is, it takes a brave politician to buck the trend and try to persuade the people to want something different. And this is where I think the challenge of the 21st century is going to lie. Um, it's, you know, People have always told me, why are you with Freedom Party? Why don't you run for a political party where you can get in as a conservative or a liberal or something like that? And I said, well, because I don't believe in their policies and I don't think these parties even have an inkling or a desire to want to change toward a more free market, free free system. So I have to work from, like I work within the system, but I work a little outside it. And I don't expect people to vote for me until they're prepared to accept, accept the ideas that I am promulgating into the community. And so I have to look at my political career in a slightly different way than an elected politician. I, I'm terribly frightened of a politician who tells me he's going to do anything that the public wants because the public is so often misinformed on issues. It's uh, so often wrong on, on many issues. It's guided by desire, not by uh, common sense, reason, or, or pr propriety, or even justice. We want our medical health care, and by gosh, I don't care how many people's rights I got to step on to get it. You know. But would you would you would you disagree that that the majority of Canadians, because I think this is the case today, the majority of Canadians believe that politicians should do what they're told. The biggest complaint I hear about politicians is they don't listen, they don't do what we want. Well, I disagree. I think they do what we want. Uh, the, but the irony is that what we want is the very thing that we object to when we see the actual consequences of our own actions. You know, you see that in personal life, too. You see people make decisions uh, where they think they're getting this pie-in-the-sky thing, whether it's in a relationship or whatever else, and the reality of it is something different, but they don't want to 
look at themselves as being the cause of that problem. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue with, with the general public, is that the public itself is the problem. We have a lot of misconceptions about what government is, about how services should be provided. Economic ignorance, thanks to our wonderful public education system, couldn't possibly be higher. Um, I know I had to almost be out of college before I was even exposed to the proper economic principles. These things were not taught as basics. It should be taught in grade one, two, and three, not in, mm. not in university and colleges, for heaven's sakes. And we come out into the world totally ignorant of the process that we have to depend on for our survival. And so we get political. And we try to solve our, our, our economic problems, generally, with political means. And the two things are, are anti-ethical to each other. <laughs> Let's get back to the phones. We've got Bill waiting to join us. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Yes, sir. Um, I was thinking, like, with the, uh, the OHIP, I'd like to see the government uh, give people a list of what uh, costs, like what it costs to go see the doctor, so people would be aware of... Uh, well, you can, get the, you can get a list like I that. I know, but I, I'd like it if they just made it general knowledge to people. Stuck it in our faces. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've always said that when you visit your doctor, even if OHIP pays it, you should be required to sign a form. It should There should be an invoice. There should be a thing showing More exactly. paperwork. Oh, my God. Uh, you right uh, here. That paperwork, uh, you know, uh, or you're just throwing paper money at things without any accountability. You know, John, the previous caller, made a very good point when he was talking about Peterson abolishing the premiums. That's part of hiding the cost which the government wants to do. They don't want us to know how much we're really paying for our health care because if we really knew, we would, we would revolt because then we would know for a fact that we could get our health care at about 20% of the cost that we're paying now. But, yeah, right. but I agree with uh, health care for like all people, especially like little kids, you know, because I wouldn't want to see any little kids. Well, but, but that's no, a separate issue. I don't think anybody on either left or right, unless you go way, way out in the ozone, nobody would want to see a system where, where people did not get health care when they needed it, though. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think that's a left or right issue, any, at least not in our society. Not I think you guys of. made a lot of good points, though. Like, uh, left and right, like, these terms are so interchangeable these days. Yeah, we, we talk about we talk about red Tories and blue liberals, and and it's just it's so muddy out there that who knows anymore. Like there's there seems like there's even like uh, even the NDP in that and a lot of issues. There all these parties are almost they're so close on so many things anymore. Yeah, that may not be a bad thing though. We sort of all shuffle along in roughly the same direction. Uh, you know, we don't have these huge splits uh, that sort of can drive a, a community apart and get into civil wars and stuff. Like, whether you're left or right, we agree that kids should get looked after. You know, we agree people shouldn't be starving in the still, streets. I still but like those things can split a society apart. If, you, if we all agree in those things and then we spend until, you know, the money is no longer there, that is the point at which the consequence of our benign belief in taking care of each other through a social system turns into a bloody civil war. Canada's becoming a civil civil war territory today. Quebec wants to separate. The West wants to separate. Why? Because they're all being forced to support these nationalistic programs. I wish they'd get rid of the Senate. I wish they could all agree on that. Well, there's a whole other issue again. <laughs> well, thanks for joining right. us this morning. Good to hear from right. you. And if you've got a question or a comment, if you'd like to join the conversation, 643-1290, star 1290. This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, and yours truly, Jim Chapman. Um, do you think, guys, I think Bill made a, raised an interesting point here about uh, the political parties today, that there's a certain level of interchangeability. I mean, even look at Bob, Bob Ray's NDP government uh, was forced to do some, to take some steps that many people, particularly his philosophical supporters, the ones who, you know, weren't interested in reality but were interested in the philosophy. Um, you know, he alienated all kinds of people on, on, quote, the left because he dealt in what he felt was a pragmatic fashion with some of the problems, 
people may disagree that he that he did a very effective job. But but the NDP certainly did some some quote right wing things, social contract and so on. We've seen definitely a blue uh, liberal financial attitude in Ottawa. Certainly not in some of the other issues, but anything Paul Martin has to do with. Uh, it's been suggested he'd be much more comfortable in the in the Tory party if the Tories were in the ascendancy. It's been said of Jean Charest that he might in fact be more comfortable as a as a blue liberal than he is as a as a red Tory. Uh, uh, Jeff, you made a comment before about kind of uh, that maybe this shows that we're not so divisive. Do you think, is there any sense, and I'll put this question to both of you, that, that uh, the reason the parties are doing this is because we have managed. Now, Bob, you said you disagree with this, but I wonder if maybe we haven't managed to kind of keep this, this kind of homogenous or homogeneous uh, center to our society. The great mass of people seem to want pretty much the same things, and if you're a political party, whether you are nominally left, right, or in the center, you better you better respond to what those people want, or you're not going to get or, or keep power. Well, if, if that's right. Certainly, if you want to get elected in a given environment, but if your objective is to change the environment, then you have to take a view quite different. Um, I think the reason that, to me, liberal, conservative, NDP are just various shades of the same philosophy. Um, and they're, they're generally reflective of what the public wants. And so when the public complains about the mess they always get into, I mean, get up and look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. You want to you wanna put your responsibilities on someone else? Well, then if you give that person the responsibility, you're giving them the freedom, you're giving them the choice, you're giving them the power. When we give to government the responsibility for our lives, be it health care, education, don't expect to have any rights in those areas. They, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in nature, it doesn't work in politics, it doesn't work in economics. And yet we still belabor under this false belief. And, uh, you know, the day of reckoning is coming. It will, it, it's coming in many shapes and forms. And uh, we, that, to me, is the essence of the whole thing, is that people don't want to be responsible for their own actions because it, it's easy to vote and difficult to earn. One well, of the, I, I would disagree, first of all, by saying that uh, you had mentioned that the parties. Uh, broadly represent what people want, and I think that the shades of, of color between them represent different parts of each of us. So there's a part of each of us that is that's frugal and recognizes you can't spend till there's no tomorrow. There's a part of each of us who wants to do the right thing and help, you know, people who are who are downtrodden or whatever. And that the parties appeal to these different sides of us, and that we. Well show these at different times as we're going along. If we're feeling good, we're feeling generous, we're likely to vote in a left-wing government. If we're feeling sort of worried about our future and our kids' future, you know, and the money that we vote in a right-wing government. But broadly, they do represent us. Uh, I would agree with you if you're talking about some sort of collective mentality, but on an individual basis, that's just not possible. I, uh, you know, if you go issue by issue or policy by policy, Sure, I might find the odd policy that even the NDP might support. You know, very odd, uh, but it would be a very exceptional thing. Um, again, even with Harris's government, I'm split almost down the middle with Harris. Uh, I like half of what he does, and mm -hmm. I hate the other half. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I, d I don't believe in collective consciousness as such. I think that that gets us into trouble when we start talking like that because we're. But you're all free. You're free to live your life in a lot of ways that you want to. You want to be responsible for your own life. You want to be frugal. You, you know, you're, nobody's stopping you from doing a lot of those things. Government interferes to a great degree when it takes half of your income away from you for other people's purposes, then to that degree you don't have that freedom. But to the extent that those things are being uh, spent on things you would have to pay for privately, and we can disagree about uh, how much more efficient it would be if it was 
private or not, you've still got a good chunk of your money that you're free to go out and put in a bank, you're free to go off and travel, you're, we've all got to pay our basic bills, we all well, do that. it's very nice to, uh, of you to, to give me a little piece of freedom, sort, sort of, to keep me quiet. It's not me giving it to you. But, well, no, <laughs> your whole idea, I mean, you're the guy that told us before that you would support 100% taxation, as long <laughs> as you could let me live that down, are you? You're taking that out of context. <laughs> Let's go back to the telephones here, get a little context from Bev. Hi, Bev. Hi. Hi there. Uh, can I just put another little different slant on this? Do you know that uh, Ontario speaks dialogue on Canadian unity that was set around to most of the houses? Yeah. Some of my friends have never received one. Mm -hmm. But there's this number four on here. Do you agree with the acknowledgement of the diversity of Canada, e.g. English and French languages, unique character of Quebec, Aboriginal peoples, and the vast multicultural heritage of our citizens? You can almost hear the violins, can't you? Well, you know, this question to me is so muddled it's as bad as what they ran in Quebec for yep. the referendum. Yep. Like, if I want to answer a question about Quebec, I want to answer a straight question about Quebec. Do you believe in the unique character of Quebec? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. You know, I want a straight question. I don't want it lumped in with multiculturalism, uh, Aboriginal peoples. I want to. I want to voice separately on each one of those things. Why, this is well, what you know, I'd like. My, my question is, why does anybody even care what we think about that? Um, whether you think Quebec is the same as another province or whether you think it's different, so what? Although, you know, it's difficult to say how blunt a politician should be or how direct, because we all sort of would like that. But, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, in some ways, uh, one of the reasons the Harris government has had such a tough sled is because they are so direct. They say what they think. Uh, maybe uh, there's something to the idea that you soft-sell things, you know, you clothe it in a lot of uh, uh, flowery language, and people can swallow it better. Well, the government was complaining that Quebec, uh, the Premier of Quebec, didn't ask a straight question in the last referendum. Well, I'm saying that the... Conservative government here did not ask a straight question in this Ontario speak. No, you've got a very good point there, Bev. You're absolutely right. In fact, we talked about it on Talk of the Town a couple of months ago. I missed it. I'm I sorry think, I missed no, I think it. You're and right another on the money. thing is that I never got to respond to it because it got to my house late. Yep. And then I was told that the responses were put off until March. Mm -hmm. And then I was told, no, that they're already in. Yeah. And I know quite a few of my friends have never gotten this. Well, you know, the good thing, the good news about that, it created a lot of jobs for a lot of people who would otherwise have been unemployed. So yeah, there's well, the good news. I suppose they have that, and that's the only thing in their favor. I think that's but I would it. like another crack at this cat here, and I would like the question more straightforward, like, do you believe in the uniqueness of Quebec, mm -hmm. yes or no, or whatever else, you know, and don't lump it with a whole bunch of other questions, because it's as murky as what Bouchard asked in the last referendum. I agree. Thanks for the call, Bev. Thank you. Take bye -bye. care. Bye-bye. Guys, in terms of the country and the and the direction that we're heading in the future, if we if we go back, let, let's let's be a little dogmatic here about left and right, and and uh, and you know talk about Newt Gingrich perhaps re representing quote the political right, and and uh, I don't know Bob Ray on the political left to use figures people can uh, can identify closely with. Do you think we will see within the foreseeable future, say next five years, because I don't know if you can see anything beyond that, uh, will we see a, a, a distinct move further towards either of those uh, polarities, do you think, or are we going to, Canadians seem to want to keep floating along sort of down the middle of that river? Uh, I think Canadians are quite resistant to going to one extreme or the other. I don't even like to use the word extreme, but, um, you know, Canadians are very middle-of-the-road folks, really, and, and in, in some respects, that's a good thing. 
but uh, in politics it means that you're not making any clear decisions. It's uh, like like the, the issue that Bev bring, brings up here with Quebec being unique. Uh, to me, that's an irrelevant question. I think every individual is unique, and that our governments are, are basically hiding the fact that we're no longer permitted to act as unique individuals. We've got to act as unique groups. And that, to me, is the pivotal point on which the politics of the future in Canada is revolving around. We've gone from the society of the individual, which is functional, has its problems, but it certainly uh, is a much more just system, to the society of the collective. And now we've got various groups all competing with each other through government for favors from that government, which in turn have to be gotten from the other groups. So well, is it going to be any more difficult for us then to make government responsive? Because when you, you look at you look at the collective, collectivist societies, uh, both on the left and the right, you look, mm -hmm. just as an example, the communists and the fascists, right. both collective societies. Right. Um, very difficult to, to mount a credible uh, opposition within those systems and those societies. Do you think we're moving to that? Uh, very much so, in many in many interesting ways. Um, we're, we're in a system where, well, again, that comes back to political correctness. Um, certain opinions are stifled. They don't want to hear different opinion, especially, you know, in this country today, you can't talk about race and color and creed and, and religion and differences of opinion in that sense, or you're going to be labeled real quick because the label gets rid of debate. When somebody can call you a racist, what they're trying to do is say, I don't want to hear from you. Yeah. I don't want to hear your opinion. I don't want to have to think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think. And that's basically, uh, whenever I hear anybody use that word racist on somebody, I, you know, I have to look at this person and sort of smile and say, well, this guy's just shut his brain off. Well, to me, you to know? me, it just, it, it, in almost every, not every case, because there are racists. Well, there are, yeah. But in most cases, it discredits the person who speaks oh, rather absolutely. than the person they're speaking about. Right. Jeff, what about this idea of the collectivism in the, in, in the sense that we are, you know, a fairly homogeneous mass here? Do you think that that poses a threat for the future from either the right or the left in terms of being, in terms of being able to mount or maintain a credible opposition to the direction in which we're going, because we, we do need opposition, don't we? Well, I, I would say that the only sense in which we're collective is economic, that in all the other senses I can think of, we're much more free and diverse and individual than we used to be, that there's far less censorship than we've had in the past, uh, that there's generally a move towards less government and police uh, arbitrary power, the power to just lock, go, grab you and lock you up, um, that uh, in a lot of ways we've become a lot more, uh, I think, uh, willing to leave people alone. We don't have these sort of jingoistic movements to go off and decide we're going to all go off and fight a war in South Africa or whatever it is. And and as far as the uh, the isms, the racism and sexism labels, I would say in the past we had a lot more trouble with the with the actual racism and the actual sexism than we have now. That affected a lot of people and restricted their freedom. Uh, so I think that we're we're broadly heading in a direction towards more individual liberty but less economic liberty. I and mean, I think that's the right way to go. We'll come back right after this to wrap up this additional left, right, and Center. For me today, I hope you enjoyed listening to the program, too. My thanks, as always, to Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer for coming by. Um, any point to a final comment today, or are we still kind of... Uh... Well, I think just before the break, Jeff uh, really summed up uh, my impression of, of left wing, actually, is that, you know, he believes in a lot of personal liberty, which I do, and, but he doesn't believe, he sees less economic liberty coming, which he supports, and I, that's where we part ways. I think liberty is an indivisible concept. 
and that uh, to say that you're not free economically means you're not free. If you can't spend your money where you would like, then you don't even have the personal liberty. So, Jeff, uh, 20 seconds. Okay, well, I, I, I agree with the individual part of it, obviously, and I think that uh, left-wingers just, just happen to believe that we get a lot further working together than we do working separately, and that sort of sums it up. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I think we've gone a long way today working uh, separately and together on the program. Jeff and Bob will be back next Wednesday for the next edition of Left, Right, and Center tomorrow on...